Are you ready? Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Can't wait! This, this, this is Mock on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down! How you doing, everybody, and welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. I am Craig Moffat, and of course, this show would not be complete without the production stylings of the people's producer, the founder of the A1 Sports Network, and I've dubbed him a new nickname, which he will get into in a minute, and I am talking about, of course, Backdraft, Chris Klim. What's up, Craig? We apologize. We're a little late, but uh, Klim is actually a part of the fire department in his town, and he was at a call, and he had to put out a fire. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a scorcher of a scorcher. I mean, it was definitely a million degrees as soon as we got into that damn house, but it was it was nice. Nothing nothing too crazy, but it was it was it was nice to finally. You know, it's it's so weird with being in the fire department, mm-hmm. and like there was a picture like I must have put up one day. And my buddy goes to me, he's like, "Yo, you look way too excited that a house just burned down." I'm like, "Yo, it's really weird that like yeah, as firemen, like, like we we want the like, fire department. You want that? You want yeah. you want to go into a burning building? That's what you train for." Yeah, exactly. As sick as that might sound, it's like, but we want this to happen. Like, we want it to happen, as sick as it might sound. You know what's crazy for me, man? Like, I've never done anything like that before. Like, my brother-in-law was a uh, volunteer firefighter before he eventually became an EMT, like, for Nassau County cops. Mm -hmm. Eventually became a Suffolk County police officer. Right. I don't know if I would be, I think I'd be more skeeved out going to an accident, like a car accident. Right. And I mean, just because like a car accident, you just never know the extent of the injuries. And like, you know, if you're squeamish, like when it comes to like blood and stuff like that. Right. You know, but I mean, a fire is like, you're just like, you're jonesing to go to a fire. Like, yeah, we, and especially for my department too, we haven't had a fire since like the end of April. And we were rolling too at the beginning of the year. Like one, like, I would say like, like either one or two a month. And we were like, we were like, okay, good. We're getting some jobs. But like since April, it's like been so quiet, and we've just been like, you know, we want we wanted something as as sick as that sounds. We wanted to we wanted to go to a fire. Oh, you know, you're not having a you're not in the tis the season where people leave their Christmas trees on all night and all that stuff. You just kind of take what you can get when you can get it. See, it's so weird though, too. Even with you know the whole COVID thing, we figured. Oh, we'd get a lot more calls and all this stuff. Even the storm that just blew over, we thought we would be getting a lot more fires. And even our, I was talking to our chief the other day, and he was just like, I am stunned that we haven't had a fire yet with all the wires down and trees down and whatnot. I mean, you got a lot of, but yeah, but you get calls for that type of stuff. But like I was telling you before, before you started recording, about a year ago, the house, there was a house right down the block from where I live. Their whole attic was up in flames. The thing was, they didn't know it. Jeez. They were in their living room and they had no idea that it was like that it was on fire. I mean, you could see the flames out the window. That's how bad it was. And yeah. for a guy who was a, now they live across the street from a gas station. Mm-hmm. If that guy hadn't crossed the street to knock on their door and tell them, who knows what how bad that house would have been. Now, luckily, I mean, it was they contained it to the upstairs. But the house next door to was like the siding was completely melted. We had a car fire one time, and it was literally melting 
like the it was like burning like the person's fence like, next to him. We were like, we gotta we gotta make sure this fence is, stays intact before it gets even worse. Yeah. Well, listen, we got a lot to do, not a lot of time to do it. Clem is alive and well after his brush with death, and uh, <laughs> we can get going. Uh, Clem, there was a lot going on, of course, over the past like hour or so. Um, college football looks like it's taking a turn for the worse with the uh, Pac-12 and the Big Ten canceling fall football, which is now seg- now they're trying to push for a spring season, which could ultimately affect the NFL in good ways and bad ways. Not exactly, you know, good ways in that if they cancel football, then chances are the NFL, if they move forward with their season, they might be able to restructure games to be played on Saturday, Sunday, and maybe even Friday night. Mm-hmm. Now, the only reason why they don't, I didn't know this, but the, uh, the reason why they don't really push for Friday night games is because high school football is huge on Friday nights, hence the Friday night lights name. You know? <laughs> now, the NFL is not saying, well, we want to let the high school kids have their moment in the sun. I mean, I think that's not what it is, but it is very popular in the South, the Jersey. Yeah. You know, wherever you go now, Friday night football, even Long Island, I think football's gotten a little more popular on the high school level, much more than that. Yeah. Well, um, we'll get into that. And uh, we have a couple of discussion questions for today as we continue, as we're, we're kind of doing a new format to the Mafia on the Mic show to try to do as many topics as possible. So I've developed the Moffat on the Mic sports aptitude test. So I did it for Tuesday and I guarantee by Wednesday, it'll be ripped off by somebody. Right, Cliff? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's like it's just so weird. Like we'll talk about something and then someone will report it in the news the next day. And we were like, God damn it, what the hell's going on here? There's a mole somewhere, and I hope it's not your parents <laughs> telling them to tell to talk about it, because I'll be really pissed off. <laughs> yeah, my parents are here and uh, scoping us out from the ba- from here in the basement. <laughs> How dare that Moffat guy talk about us like that? You're not supposed to let that happen. You're the owner of the A1 now. <laughs> Uh, as always, you can follow the show on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. You can follow Klim and the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you could subscribe to our show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, we upload shows every day, and you'll get notified as soon as a new show is uploaded. Okay, Klim, let's get started with the sports aptitude test for the Moffat on the Mic show for Tuesday. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Number one, about the Mets. Oh, the one thing that continuously frustrates you about the Mets this season besides everything is a struggling starting pitching B inability of driving in runners and scoring position C mental mistakes on the field or D inability to overcome adversity. I'm going to go B inability to drive in runners in scoring position because with the team we have with the hitters we have able to be knocking in runs easily, easily, mm-hmm. you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, Syndergaard got an injury. It's unfortunate that walk is injured and that Stroman opted out. So I can't really blame the pitching because some of these guys like Matt Peterson and Porcello we're supposed to be the back end of the rotation, and now they're pitching two or three guys. Like, they're the two or three guys in the rotation. So I can't really be mad at that. But I've watched games where they've left bases loaded, one out. You got to at least get one run out of that, and they have been so incompetent in doing that. They have – with the with McNeil, Conforto, Alonzo, Ramos, 
Nimmo, all these guys in the lineup, they have to be able to score more runs with guys in scoring position. You know, I'm going to say inability to overcome adversity. And the reason why I'm going to say it is because 99 times out of 100, every time the Mets suffer a tough loss or suffer an injury or suffer, you know, like something like, like Stroman not being out. You ever notice how they never know how to kind of rise to the occasion? You ever notice how they never know how to just, okay, this sucks, but we need to focus on winning this game today because every game counts moving forward. Right. They never seem to do that. And I'm going to pinpoint a few examples. I mean, this has been going on for years, but we're going to pinpoint for 2020. It started game two of when the season started up again. After they won opening day, which they're like, their record on opening day is insanely good. Yeah, I know. The second day, they had a shot to win that game. Mats gave him a strong outing. It got to Diaz, and Diaz blew the save. He gave up a home run to Azuna. And then the Braves just opened it up in the 10th inning and wound up winning the game. Say what you want about Diaz with that pitch. I mean, a lot of people say it was a good pitch, just so Zuna got his bat on it. <laughs> That's all it really was. It wasn't like a pitch he kind of hung over the middle of the plate for Ozuna to tag. But the very next day when they just, okay, shake it off, come back and win the series, they got their doors blown off 14 to one to the Braves on Sunday night baseball, mind you. Okay, with a Porcello start. Gets better. You tag last Friday, Mets are winning 10 to five, then they're winning 11, you know, they're winning and they lose 11 to 10. Mm -hmm. You know, Lugo blows the save, the Tantas was terrible. You know, every other inning, the Mets seem to be, the Braves seem to be chipping away at that game, okay? They lose that game 11 to 10. It's a gut-wrenching loss. And when you go to the field the next day, you should be angry you lost that game. You should be furious. You should be ready to tee off on the friggin' Braves. Right. That's how pissed you should be. Mets show up for that game, completely lackadaisical, no effort whatsoever. Waka didn't really have a great game. And the Mets lose seven to one. They don't show up for hitting. They don't show up for anything. And then you kind of tag Monday, yesterday. The Stroman opt-out was announced like early part of the afternoon, like middle of the afternoon. They have a game against the Washington Nationals, okay? Now, look, the Stroman opt-out is a punch in the stomach. That's the best way you can describe it. You can't sit here and blame Brody Van Wagenen because he decided to opt out of the season. The more you read the articles about Stroman, it was a little shady. Yeah. He waited until he had enough time to be a free agent and then he opted out. Yeah. And for a lot of people are pissed because he was putting videos up of how fired up he was to join the Mets and come back. He's showing the workouts and everything. And he could have been back as early as next week. So what's done is done. You have a game against the Nationals, which in my opinion is a beatable team. I know they have Patrick Corbin. I know they have Scherzer. I know they have, I know they have Strasburg. Okay. But the fact is, right now, you needed that win yesterday. You needed Mats to give you a big game. And Steven Mats failed, and he failed miserably. The team was out of it by the third inning. They had pretty much given up on the game because they're already down 8 nothing. Then Seawald comes in, gives up another four runs. It's not even the sixth inning. They're down 12 nothing. They eventually lose 16-4. to not to mention the fact that Wednesday or Thursday or Wednesday, you're going to have a bullpen game tomorrow because Waka's hurt, Stroman opted out, so you have no starters. And that was a game you really needed Matt yesterday to give you six solid innings. You know, maybe try to get to the seventh. 
and he just looked lost and he does this all the time he just his men his mental makeup as a starter is completely shot and again it's another sign that okay stroman opts out we need to focus on this game and we need to win this game and the mets don't show up that's a big deal i think they just have the toughest time overcoming adversity and i that's why i say that's more it look the starting pitching is going to always struggle you know bits and pieces you know the driving and runners and scoring position is another problem and mental mistakes every team goes through mental mistakes Mm -hmm. man just coming back after a tough loss they don't know how to do it they don't know how to get the ship back you know on point and that's why you know they they're a seven and ten team yeah i i I couldn't agree with you more and i think like you mentioned like they they get they get they don't overcome adversity that they don't help they don't help themselves it's really fun then that's what like when it gets really frustrating watching the mets it's like we should be winning these games when we're not all right, question number two. With 43 games left in the season, the best course of action for the Mets right now is A, have a team meeting and call players out for lack of production. B, consider the possibility of being sellers at the trade deadline. C, look for a major move to help the team that could result in giving up more future assets. Or D, add a couple of pitchers through free agency and give the young hitters more playing time. I'm going to say I think they need to make a big move at the deadline because this team for certain is that we can hit. We can't, but not clutch really, but we can hit McNeil, Conforto, Nimmo, Alonzo, Ramos, all these guys, even Jimenez and, and Cano can all get on base. It's the pitching that's really screwing us because coming into the season, you, know, you just mentioned Steven Matz, you know, he goes in and sucks. He, in reality, if this season went right, he was supposed to be our four pitcher. Now he's our two, which mm-hmm. he it bunts him up a lot of pressure to Steven Matz. And even like a guy like Porcello, he wasn't, we, he was a question mark if he was even going to make the ball. Yeah. And now he's yeah. our, and now he's our three pitcher. I really think that the Mets, if they want to try and really contend for this year with the extra wild card spot, they need to go out and make a move. Or some uh, a, start, a valuable starting pitcher because right now we have a surplus of shortstops that we can really trade because we have Andrezario, we have Andres Jimenez, and we have this rookie sensation who's supposed to be better than the both of them in Ronnie Maruccio. So whoever they do, whoever they do, Mike, they have fixed it again. <laughs> okay. Um, the reason why I don't want to do that is, is because Brody Van Wagenen, while I, I'm, I support him and I like the moves he's made because, you know, in my honest opinion, he put a little bit of excitement back into my off seasons when the Mets didn't have any. And look, some are going to work, some are not. You, you can't sit here and kind of, if you go over every single prospect the Mets traded and say, well, we should have had him. You're going you're gonna to kill yourself. You're going to mentally break down and you should be in an insane asylum at that point. Um, the reason why I don't trust Brody right now is because Brody's going to make a panic move. Mm-hmm. If Brody makes a panic move, he's going to give up somebody really big and he's going to do it to try to keep his job because he knows a new owner is coming in in 2021 regardless. Right. I don't think the Wilpons will be owning this team in 2021. In fact, I think it's highly probable they're not going to be owning this team in 2021. 
And in that case, Brody's got to show off a little bit to see, you know, flex his muscle. The problem is, are you prepared to give up a guy like Matt Allen, Andres Jimenez, who's showing you a lot of good stuff right now? You know, guys like Josh Wolf, guys like, you know, well, Rosario, at this point, I'm kind of 50-50 on Rosario. Like, I just, I still don't see, you know, again, this is why I advocate for deals like this, because we always hide behind these prospects and then they never deliver. Right. You know, Rosario was supposed to be this can't miss blue chip prospect. Couldn't trade anybody for him. Met fans were going to flip out if they traded and he's just average. Like he's not, you know, I don't think he, he's not leaps and bounds. Amazing. Yeah. He hasn't lived up to that number. He was, he was the number one prospect in baseball at one point. And he hasn't lived, he hasn't lived up to that hype at all. Like you saw it a little bit last year, but it was like, okay, maybe he's starting to turn stuff around. But he he's not playing good. He's not playing well this year. I'll, I'll knock these off really quickly. Number one, having a team meeting is great, but that's more short-term success. That's not something that's going to be a long-term thing. Right. I mean, you got to like really rip these guys a new asshole if you're going to have a team meeting. You can't just like be like, well, you know, don't worry about it, guys. And, you know, because the Rojas team meeting to me is seems like that even-keeled. That's not what that's not what they're going to want to hear because they're just going to be like, yeah, whatever. He doesn't care. So I don't care. You know, if he's not worried, I'm not worried. Okay, so Mm -hmm. that's that. Being sellers at the deadline is interesting because I think there are guys you could peddle off. You know, to be honest, I don't know what the future holds for Michael Conforto. Mm -hmm. I just find him to be too streaky. You know, I don't find him to really be that guy that puts the team on his back when they need it. Okay, Alonzo's not going anywhere. So Alonzo and McNeil are very safe for my opinion, and probably DeGrom, you know, although if you really wanted to go down that road, you could get a lot for DeGrom. You, get, you can get a ton for DeGrom right now. But if you also want City Field to burn down, then I mean, yeah, that's- you're not <laughs> no. so there's that. Um, so the Mets have a couple of chips, but nothing really to go crazy about. And for hitters, I don't really know what people are going to want and you don't have a lot of pitching. So you can't really pedal that off. Right. Um, look for a major move. Okay. If I go after a guy like Johnny Cueto or Mike Miner from my rotation, well, again, it's short-term success, which means if you do short-term, if you do short-term, the problem is you're giving up the future. And are you prepared to do that? And then Met fans are already freaking out about giving up prospects. You know, they're already freaking out because they don't get the luxury of seeing Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson and all that stuff. Are you prepared to do that again? Or... I'm going to go with D. I think you bring up a couple of pitchers. I think you kind of re kind of reorganize the rotation a little bit. I think you bring up a kid like Franklin Killame. I feel, I feel like you bring up a guy, you know, maybe if you want to sign some insurance for the rotation, you know, we mentioned him yesterday, a guy like Andrew Kashner wouldn't be a bad move. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I said, you're not expecting Tom Seaver. Yeah. He's a starter. He has experience and he eats innings. And that's what you want right now. And I think you bring up a couple of these young bullpen guys, or you just, you figure out a way to stretch out Robert Gazelman right now, because you haven't pitched him. He's only pitched one inning so far, maybe stretching him out of the alternate side for, for a week might not be a bad idea too. So I'm going to go with that because I want to see Jimenez playing every day. I want to see Dom playing every day. These are the guys I want to see every day. I don't want to see Brian Dozier. Brian Dozier is just supposed to be a guy with a pulse on this roster. He's not really yeah. supposed to play a significant role. You know, I don't want to see Luis Guillorme every day. I don't want to see these guys. I want to see, 
Andres Jimenez. I want to see Dom Smith every day in the lineup. Yeah, exactly. What happens with Cano? Because honestly, again, a guy that I'm kind of bothered by is Rosario. Rosario's still not living up to that potential, and we really need him right now. Yeah, exactly. He's not living up to potential. And what we've seen from Jimenez this year has been fantastic. He's been looking real good, and I'm 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 starting to love him more than I've been loving Rosario because he's Jimenez is putting up results that that Rosario hasn't. You know, I'm I'm very reluctant to give up a guy like Jimenez right now because again, I like his style, I like his defense, I like his overall play of the game, and that's what you need right now. You need a guy like that. And you know, with Cano, I mean, we don't know what Cano is going to be next year. If he's going to be more of the designated hitter. Or, you know, he's going to play second base a little bit more. Or if they trade Rosario and they make him in as the, the permanent shortstop. You know, it's hard to say. Yeah. But right now, at this point, I, I don't know what the Mets should do. I don't know if making a big move is a great idea. And there's still time to turn it around, but there's not enough time. Time is running out. Mm-hmm. So they really need to kind of make a statement with taking a few games from Washington. You got to go into Philly and be Philly because you're going to face Zach Wheeler this weekend. And don't think for me he's not going to have a chip on his shoulder about why the Mets didn't give him $100 million. <laughs> so, all right, number three, tomorrow the Islanders start their first round uh, playoff series with the Capitals. The Islander that is the key to their series against the Capitals is A, Jordan Eberle, B, Semyon Varlamov, three, C, Matt Barzell, or D, Jean-Gabriel Pajot. I think it's... See, before before you said uh, J.G. Pajot, Pajot, I was going to say Barzell, but I think it's going to be Pajot because this is exactly what you brought Pajot in, in for. You needed, a, you needed a good scorer. You needed someone who can electrify this offense that you really haven't seen this year. And now that, you know, he had time to, you know, do actually, you know, get himself acclimated, acclimated with the team, you know, we want to see more productive. We want to, yeah, it was, words are hard. Um, we want to see him, you know, produce more, see why, see exactly why they, uh, Lou Lowe, and I think there's going to be, a, I think there's going to be a little bit of pressure on him to actually, you know, perform good during, in this, in this series against the Capitals. I think it's early, to be honest. And the reason why I say that is because they seem like a different team when he scores goals. Mm-hmm. And the first line has really struggled. I think the first line has been okay, but, you know, Anders Lee's been non-existent. Barzell, to me, is not – he's not a Tavares. You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of, like, a Ricky Rubio, like a point guard. He doles out assists, and, you know, he'll score some points, but he's not going to be an elite scorer for that. Right. I just don't see it. I could see Beauvillier being more of an elite scorer than Barzell. Right. Okay? And for me – I just think that right now, Eberly, when he's when he lights the lamp, they're a different team. Mm-hmm. Pajot has been fantastic. I love Pajot. Yeah, love like he's embracing being on the island, and he's had a very you know he was very good in the Panther series. You know, Varlamov, I'm not really too worried about because he's been solid all the way through. He's not a, he has not been he has been anything but a shaky goaltender. So there's that. And like I said, Barzell to me is just more of an assist guy. I don't consider him to be an elite scorer in the NHL. For me, it's just Everly because I feel like when that line starts scoring and Everly is definitely a key guy there, Right. I think that they're a different team and they're, it's another element to their offense they really need. So they're not reliant on the Pajot line or the Sezikis line to 
do the score. Yeah. All right, number four, the Jets players. Tomorrow is really the first day of, I guess you could call it OTAs because this is their first group practice tomorrow without pads for the NFL. So the Jets player that could fly under the radar and have a very strong season this year is A, Denzel Mims, B, Chris Herndon, C, Terrell Basham, or D, Quincy Wilson. Ooh, this is a tough one. You gotta make you think, bro. That's why I love this is the this segment. I'm telling you, this oh. I give it 24 hours, somebody's gonna rip this off. Guaranteed. Let's see. I'm gonna say someone who could fly under the radar and make a big impact. I think could be Terrell Basham. I really think, you know, because he showed out a lot last season. He did for a guy who basically I would say either third, third on the depth chart or practice screen practiced uh squad guy at best he actually did pretty good and I think you know with another year under Greg Williams this guy could shine and I think 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 he'll be good paired along with Jordan Jenkins at that other outside linebacker position I like Terrell Basham a lot I I really hope he has a strong season I think he's actually going to be really good Um, I you know I think they have a lot of underrated guys on this defense you know Foley Fatsukazi Basham I think, um, you know, Quinn and Williams, I think, also needs to have a big season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kyle Phillips, I mean, just to name a few. Uh, you know, I, I thought about this, and I wanted to say Quincy Wilson because he's a second round, he's a former second round pick who got kind of lost in the shuffle in Indianapolis last year when they changed defensive schemes that don't play to his strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a big cornerback, and I, he's got a decent chance to beat out Bless Austin for the other job, for the starting job. Yeah. On the other side of Pierre Desir. But I'm going to go Chris Herndon. And um, I think, you know, Chris Herndon is like one of the few McCagnan picks that I think he stumbled upon that could be elite. Yeah. He's got potential to be a top tight end in this league. And because he looks like a wide receiver, when you look at him, he kind of looks like he's built like Quincy at Nunwa. Yeah. Right. And he has a good rapport with Sam Darnold. And I also think at the same time that if he plays a full season for Darnold, I'm not saying a thousand yard season would happen, but I could easily see him in the seven to 800 yard range. No, I, I, I agree with you too. And we saw it in Sam's first year that he, one of his favorite targets to go to was Chris Herndon. You know, it was unfortunate that he got suspended and injured. I mean, look, right now with the depth of tight end, Ryan Griffin is still coming off an ankle injury, and I'm not sure if he's going to be even ready for week one. I think he will be, but – and Trevon Wesco is not a pass-catching tight end. He's more of a run blocker. He's like an H-back. So I think this is could be Chris Herndon's big breakout season. You know, last year he was suspended for the first four games. Then he played one game, injured his hamstring, was pretty much done for the season. Yeah. He he reminds me a lot, and I saw I saw it enough in him in his first year. He reminds me a lot of Dustin Keller. Of who? Dustin Keller was so yeah. so elite. And it's funny because I was watching an old Jets game the other day on like uh, the Jets app on uh, on Roku. Yeah. And you really see, I think it was it was highlights of the um, the game when they beat the Colts in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Colts kicked the uh, field goal right before time expired. Yeah. And you really see how Sanchez really like Dustin Keller. Oh my God. Dustin Keller was, so, he was such a safety blanket for Sanchez. And the thing was all that problem with that guy was he just got hurt too much. 
Yeah. Uh, he got hurt. He was down for at least a few weeks and he never really recovered after that. He, but when he was on the field, he was a great security blanket for, you know, for, uh, for Mark Sanchez or whoever was quarterback in the team at the time. Yeah. Cause it, it, cause in reality, if, cause when Sanchez couldn't really get the ball to Braylon Edwards or Jericho Cotri, Dustin Keller was his right hand man for that. He knew, he knew Dustin Keller was going to be there and get and catch the ball. Whenever he could. All right, number five, we talked about before, the NCAA, the Pac-12 is is canceling fall football, so is the Big Ten. Uh, No word yet on the SEC or the ACC, and um, so who knows at this point, but a lot of conferences, the MAC is one, uh, just to name a few. And uh, so, again, this is kind of a big question. With the Pac-12 and Big Ten canceling fall football, the biggest losers are, A, the NCAA, B, players looking to improve their draft status for 2021. C, the fans. Or D, the NFL. I would say the biggest losers are the players. I say, I'll say it's the players just because, I mean, we, so there are some players that we know. I'll say that, I will say that there are some players that we know, like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, who are, without a doubt, probably the two best players in the year and probably will go one two in the draft mm-hmm. but when you have guys that like are like go later in the second round or third round or fourth round it's like you know what like how these guys or how can they improve their draft stock and we have no really have no good film on them and they didn't really play anyone or guys who are going to be starters this year the biggest losers unfortunately are the players yeah, I could see that too because again, you just like you said. I mean, how can how can these guys boost their stock? And then what on top of that, if you're moving football to the spring, these guys are gonna they're not gonna play. Yeah, Mar Chase is not gonna play. Trevor Lawrence is probably not gonna play, and neither is Justin Field, just to name a few guys off the top of my head. So that's kind of a big deal. Now, look, the SEC is right now moving forward. They haven't said anything yet. The ACC hasn't said anything yet if they're going to continue with a fall season. But right now, I mean, the Pac-12 is a big, it's a, you know, and the S and the Big Ten, those are two big conferences that are canceling fall football. Um, I'm going to say the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I don't give a shit about the NCAA because, I mean, those, you know, listen, they work these kids to the bone and, they don't really, you know, I understand when people are advocating to have high, you know, players get paid for what they do, but they should not make a five-figure salary for playing college football. Right. Like we've said yesterday, they're getting a free education at the end of the day. Okay. Whereas a lot of people that go to Clemson and go to Alabama may have to pay student loans out the ass after they graduate. And while these guys get a free education, what you make of that education is on you. But I don't believe in paying crazy money to these guys. I mean, for profit, I don't believe in them, you know, for them to just market themselves to Under Armour and everything where they're going to make millions of dollars. I mean, right. So because all it takes is one injury in college and that money, that marketing deal goes right down the toilet. And it's pretty, it's useless at that point. If Trevor Lawrence is sitting at home with a torn ACL. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And especially, yeah, because with the NFL, they can't, but they can't evaluate guys. You know, that, that's, that's, and that's the reason why I think the NFL, because the NFL is going to have to really change their entire schedule for 2021. They're going to have to do, the draft is going to have to be pushed back. You're not going to have a scouting combine because we don't know where we're going to be with COVID by then. Mm-hmm. 
You know, you're not going to have be able to do individual workouts. There's not going to be anything as pro days. And teams are really going to just have to evaluate just off what they know from, from their junior years, if they're seniors or from the previous year before. Yeah, I wouldn't be. Oh, I Kirk wouldn't. Lawrence is a great quarterback, so you know he's going to be the first overall pick. And unless something you see completely changes the dynamic, that's fine. But when you get to like the middle of the first round, that's when pretty much anybody can anybody can go wherever. Right, and I think I think the NFL might do something like kind of like what MLB did. You know, we know with the MLB draft, there's there supposed to be forty rounds. Of five this year, I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL did something like, "Oh, we're only going to do four rounds this year." I mean, it kind it kind of makes sense, but like it kind of sucks at the same time. Right. So, um, so there's that. But yeah, like you said, like for example, the Jets have two first round picks this year. How can they possibly evaluate these guys if they don't play? Exactly. You no, know, a guy could come out of nowhere in the senior year or, you know, redshirt junior or something like that. And, um, you know, so there's that. So, yeah, I do agree. I, I think the NFL at the end of the day is going to be the one that suffers the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Because then again, like I said, you're moving free agency back. You're, you're going to be moving everything back. And the NFL is very kind of a stickler with their scheduling and stuff. And at the end of the day, I just think it's going to be tough for them to do in general. All right, Clem, you still there? Uh oh, did I lose Clem? Uh, Clem, you're killing me right now, man. This has not been a good day, bro. <laughs> you got it? Yeah, I'm here. All right, cool. Um, I'm texting you something, okay? All right, you text me something. I'm texting you something right now. All right, hold on one second. All right, we're going to take a break here right now. We're going to get to the true or false portion of our aptitude test for Tuesday in a minute. But we have one of two discussion questions today, Clem. And we'll do the second one at the very end, and then we'll do this one now. So here we go. So the first question is, Right now, mm-hmm. if you could grade Brody Van Wagenen's performance during the first year and a half of his tenure, what would it be and why? I'm going to say I'm going to give it a C plus right now. Okay. Just because of the fact that, you know, I know it was this is un- unpredictable when he made the trades. But it just happens to be that Edwin Diaz stinks and Marcus not, Stroman. Not recently. Not recently. He's not like, recently. Yeah. Not recently. Yeah. yeah. But but if we're if we're putting if we're putting it all together, he's he more he's more stuck than done good. So I'm gonna say just a C plus just because of the, the trades that unfortunate that happened. But it's like all right, like you gotta go look back at it and be like, all right, if we didn't do this, we didn't do blah 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 blah. But he has had strong drafts that I have liked. So that's why I gave him I gave him a C plus. You know, people are gonna be surprised that I say this, but I'm actually gonna give him I'm gonna go a little bit higher than you. I'm gonna give him a B minus. Okay. Here's why. For starters, while I understand that people hate the Jared Kalinic trade, and that's fine. I mean, because you Met fans think that he is the missing piece to a World Series. 
And here's the here's what Mets fans don't understand. Okay, it's great that we had Jared Kalina, but we would still have pitching problems. Jared Kalina can't pitch. So why do I need Jared Kalina then? Yeah. See what I mean? It's like, okay, if we kept Jared Kalina, he's a great pure hitter, and you know, I'm sure he'll have a good career in baseball, but I'm still having pitching problems. So how do I fix that with Jared Kalina on my roster? Right. I have pure hitters. I don't need another one. So there's that. The Marcus Stroman opt-out was not his fault. And yeah. I like the trade when they made it. I know what Anthony Kay is. Anthony Kay is a middle reliever right now in Toronto and everybody's going crazy about him. And Simeon Woods Richardson scouts really like, but nobody projects to be a top of the tier starter. You, these guys are projected to be more bottom of the rotation, like fourth or fifth guys. Yeah. And especially projected to be one number ones or number twos here. And especially with baseball, like it's so it's honestly really hit or miss on some of these prospects. So like you have you have no idea what like what round a star is going to be in. Yeah. Well, we drafted what Jacob DeGrom in the ninth round and he's the best pitcher in baseball. No yeah. one saw that coming. And he no. was a stop in college. Here are the things that work in Brody's favor. Now, listen, there are a few that don't work in Brody's favor and there have been some blunders. I'm not going to say that he's been perfect. He really hasn't. I think it's pretty much 50 50 in my opinion. Um, the pros, the J.D. Davis trade, I think, was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I think every Met fan can agree on that. I will table my opinion on the Cano Diaz trade because right now I just don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't grade a trade because Met fans don't like it. Right. The fact is, when Cano is on the field, he's hitting. He's doing exactly what you ask him to do, and that's get on base. And while Diaz has definitely been a, you know, pretty much a disaster as a closer. I don't know if he's being reinvented into something else. And right now the results have been promising. Mm -hmm. been pretty effective. You know, does he give up hits? Of course he does. I mean, listen, closer, you know, pitchers are always going to be a little shaky at times. But one thing you like about Diaz is he's getting a lot of strikeouts. Mm -hmm. A lot of his stuff is swing and miss type stuff. And that's what you want to see. And hopefully with these games, it builds his confidence back up. You know, a negative is Jed Lowry, of course, because he hasn't played a game and he was a complete disaster. And a negative for me in, in that sense is Familia because I didn't really want Familia. I wanted Adovino. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Familia has been, you know, shaky. He was bad last year. He's been a little bit better this year, but not really significantly better, which is what they kind of needed. Mm -hmm. Now, you look at some of the good things he's done. Number one, we said Davis. Number two, the DeGrom extension. And I saw this on Twitter today where somebody said, well, any, any GM could have done that. Yeah, but Brody did it. So you got to give him credit for that. Especially when Met fans were literally taking a dump in their pants, worrying that DeGrom wasn't going to be signed by opening day last year. Right. And if you had to do that deal now, that's at least a $300 million deal. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the here's the best part. Here's the worst part, Clem. He's getting traded. He's getting traded. I don't think, I don't doubt that for a second. That if DeGrom had to go into that offseason and then he was looking for Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole money, which he deserves, by the way, he's getting traded. Absolutely. He's absolutely. And there were there was rumors like that even a couple of years ago that he was going to get traded. I'm like, why we don't need to trade this guy? Baseball. Let's keep it going. Bypassing the service time thing for Alonzo. Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you right now, if Alonzo is in I'm telling you right now, without that, Alonzo's not rookie of the year. I believe that in my heart of hearts, he's not he's not rookie of the year last year. 
-hmm. You're talking about doing two weeks and then bringing him up. And then we don't know if he would have had the same kind of impact. That's a key part because that's good for player relations. Mm -hmm. Alonzo shows, you know, you're showing Alonzo the respect he deserved because he killed it in spring training. So there's that. Justin Wilson has been a very good addition to the bullpen. Very good addition. And the thing is that while Marcus Stroman, Marcus Stroman was four and two, he had an ERA close to four. But again, you guys want him to make a splash and this is the splash. And, you know, the thing that bothers me about Mets fans is, you know, they weren't happy when Sandy Alderson was running the team. Now they're not happy that Brody Van Wagenen is running the team. And let me ask you a question, because I saw this on a guy that tweeted and I almost ripped him apart. One guy tweeted, well, they could have had Hein Bloom. And here's the thing about a guy like Hein Bloom. Number one, DeGrom is definitely getting traded for Hein, if Hein Bloom is GM of the team. The second thing is, okay, you would have kept Kalinic and probably kept Anthony Kay because he wouldn't have made the trade for Stroman or wouldn't have made the team, made the trade for, um, you know, Cano Diaz, which is fine. Because he's not going to, he's not the, he doesn't strike me as the type of, type of GM that it's going to absorb salary. Right. But the team would have been so boring. And Mets fans would have hated him too. Yeah, no, you're absolutely, no, you're absolutely right with that. They would have hated him too. They, would have, they wouldn't have been happy with him. Do you, do you trust Hein Bloom to go into next offseason spending money? No. That when he's never been part of an organization that has before, he's never negotiated a big contract. He's never negotiated anything. So while, yeah, up in near in nifty in theory, he would have like kept the farm system as is. And the Mets would have probably had a top 10 farm system right now mm -hmm. with Kalinic, with Kay, with Woods Richardson and, you know, Crow, P. Crow Armstrong and Matt Allen and everything. The fact is, is it would have not been a great team. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, right now you see him in Boston. He already traded Mookie Betts. He traded Mookie Betts already. They have no pitching whatsoever. He made no additions in the offseason. But I had a crazy theory, Clem. I had a crazy theory. If Steve Cohen buys the team, mm -hmm. and I had this in my head, and I am so convinced it could happen, guess who I'm thinking will be the GM? Making a splash for general manager. Who? Oh, tell me. Dave Dombrowski. I am so convinced that if he if he comes in as GM, he's going to hire Dave Dombrowski. And here's what it is about Dave Dombrowski, Met fans. He literally guts the farm. He is the epitome of a short-term general manager. He does not wait. He guts the farm. So Matt Allen is getting traded to get a guy like Nolan Arenado. <laughs> All these guys are getting traded. Jared Kalinick would have been traded. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, Dombrowski's won titles. I give him that. He's won a title with the Red Sox. He won titles with the Marlins. But he is the epitome of a short-term general manager. You think I'm right? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised at all. Like a flashy general manager type of guy. Cohen's got big bucks to spend, and he knows that Dombrowski's he's a winner. He's yeah. won World Series. You can't escape that. But he's also gutted the franchises to eternal hell. Miguel Cabrera is a perfect example. Jeez. Remember he gave Miguel Cabrera that monster contract that they're still paying for right now? Yep. 
I mean, the Red Sox too. I mean, he, you know, he traded away pretty much everybody. He traded away Yoan Moncada, which was a big move. He went out and got Chris Sale, who now has had Tommy John surgery. He went out and signed David Price. He went out and, you know, I mean, he wouldn't give, he wouldn't pay Mookie Betts. He wouldn't pay these guys, but he went out for a big fish that he wanted. He went out and he went out and signed JD Martinez. He gave him JD Martinez a monster contract. Yeah. So I'm going to give Brody a B minus. And here is the, here is the de facto thing, Clem. You ready? Yes. He has a winning record. He's won, you know, his first year as a GM, he was, they were a winner. Mm-hmm. They were, they were over 500. You can dispute it all you want. Well, they're only four games over 500. They were still over 500. Numbers don't lie. On top of that, they were in the wild card hunt for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe this September. Mets fans had to have been excited about that. No. no I thought they were. So no, again, were. that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm going to give them a little bit of an edge right now. They're seven and 10. I don't know how much this is his fault though. Mm-hmm. Guard Tommy John Strowman opts out of the season. He's not really hitting. Yeah, it's it's tough. That's why I gave it a C plus. It's just a tough look on Brody. No, obviously, no one saw Strowman opting out. No one foresaw. Uh, no one foresaw Edwin Diaz being awful. But it's like you know what? Like what if he doesn't do this trade? You know, and they stink on the Mariners, or they, or we never trade for. And he and he opts out for the Blue Jays. You know, it's it's stuff like that. I hate I hate looking at it like that because I that's something like I like. But you have to, yeah, exactly. You have to look at it that way because you know I I, I personally loved both trades, but if you if I'm grading them on that, and you have to look in hindsight. It doesn't help. You're listening to the Moffat on the Mike Show on this Tuesday evening. We're on Facebook Live, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. You can follow the show on Instagram at Moffat on the Mike, Twitter. Add Moffat on the mic and my Facebook page as well. You can follow the A1 Sports Network on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All right, Clem, let's do a little true-false, and then we'll get into the final discussion question, and then we'll call it a day. All right. All right, here we go. Number one, speaking of the Boston Red Sox, true or false, the Boston Red Sox are the worst team in Major League Baseball today. I'm going to say false just because, yeah, their pitching is god-awful. But they still have some good hitters on the team, like Xavier Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Jack Bradley, uh, Benintendi, J.D. Martinez. There's still guys on the team that can still hit. So I wouldn't say they're the worst. On paper, they're they're not the worst. Um, I'm going to say true. And the reason why I'm going to say it is because pitching wins ballgames. And you can have guys like Benintendi and Devers and Bogarts. Moreland's actually, Mitch Moreland's actually been pretty good. And of course, mm-hmm. Dave Martinez. But at the end of the day, they have no rotation. Eduardo Rodriguez was supposed to be their number one starter. He tested positive for COVID and he's probably not coming back this year. And they are the one team two years in a row that did not address the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Even under Hein Bloom, they did not address the bullpen. And that's a big deal. And, you know, granted they got Alex Verdugo to get for Mookie Betts and everything, but the bullpen needs to be addressed and they did not do it. And that to me, they've looked really bad. And that's the main reason. I mean, Nate, Nate Evaldi is your number one starter. Colin McHugh, who was supposed to fill in, he opted out. 
They signed Colin McHugh after Chris Sale had Tommy John. And Colin McHugh opted out for the season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now a little bit, some of it's not their fault, but the fact is, is they have no pitching and pitching wins ball games, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. Win the game more times than not. And with a terrible bullpen and a terrible rotation, right now, I could easily say they're the worst team in Major League Baseball. All you're right. Not. I, I think I think you can go on e- either way on, on the fence with them because, like I said, they, there are a lot of teams in the baseball that are mediocre. You know, the yeah. Pirates are terrible. You know, the Indians are media are average. You have, you know, even the Mets are average. You know, to below average. The Phillies aren't really anything special. I mean, the craziest thing I saw was so far the Mets have played sixteen games. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals have played five. Jesus. You tell me if that's fair. So, <laughs> all right, number two, the suspensions to Astros coach Alex Cintron, 20 games, and Ramon Laureano of the A's, five games, are completely justified. False. I think it should be the other way around. You think Laureano should have got 20 games? Well, not 20 games, but I definitely think he should have got more than five games. The guy charged the dugout. I don't care if he, if the guy is chirping at you from the dugout. You're supposed to be the big Man, I look. I understand that, but people are gonna chirp. This is sports. I can all. I can only imagine what's being said at the bottom of uh, uh at the bottom of piles when you're going for a fumble. But I mean, look, you he's being chirped. It happens. It's sports. You're gonna. Someone's gonna say anything, but you don't charge, especially in a pandemic. You don't charge the other team's dugout. It's just I, he should have got. I think he should have got at least ten games, not five. I'm going to say true. Uh, first of all, Cintron has no business jawing with the player regardless. And he, you oh, know, yeah. he started. So he kind of instigated it. And the thing is, the guy got hit twice. And I'm sorry, but if you're going to get hit twice with the second time being intentional, if I'm Ramon Laureano, I'd be pissed off too. And I'd probably say something, you know, but Cintron, he claims that Cintron made a comment about his mother. Look, let's call it what it is. In this time of a pandemic, we shouldn't be having brawls on the field. Yeah. Because it's just a bad look for baseball. But on top of that, it's a pandemic. And little things like that are the difference between people getting sick and the season shutting down. Mets are losing already. Are you serious? What's the score? One nothing, Turner. I'm assuming leadoff home run. Ah, poor Sello. You got to love him. He stinks. Um, just remember, who would be starting today? Stroman. Yeah. <laughs> just hit Stroman, man. Not easy. Rotation, Stroman would be starting. <laughs> so, um, but getting back to what I was saying. So the thing is, look, the Astros are getting frustrated because they're getting beamed and all that stuff. Well, that comes with the territory. I don't really dis- – I don't really – my issue with hitting guys is I don't – you hit them in the back, you hit them in the leg, fine. You can't do no headshots. Yeah. That's why I didn't like Joe Kelly, and that's why I kind of said Joe Kelly should have been suspended for eight games because – he took a headshot at Carlos Correa. You made your point with Bregman, but now you're taking a headshot at Correa. That, to me, is wrong. Okay? But that being said, I think the suspensions are justified, and I think that Cintron really has no business saying anything. Shut your <laughs> mouth and let it, and just let it be done. He doesn't. You're, you're right. He has no, he has no business saying the dugout, Especially yeah. from the dugout. He shouldn't be saying a word. Mind yeah. your business. It has nothing to do with you, and because of that, now your dumbass got suspended for 20 games. Yeah, no, he absolutely has no right chirping, but I think it, on the more, better hand, you don't, again, you don't charge the dugout 
at any circumstances, plus during a pandemic. You don't you don't do that, which incited the ball. All right. Number three, even though they are playing well, the Nets should not commit the coaching job to coaching job to Jacques Vaughn just yet. That's tough. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say true. I am gonna say true, just because of the fact that you know, this is this was just a fill-in guy. Everyone was talking about, oh, Tyron Lue's going to come here and coach the the Nets because that's who Kyrie here. They just want a yes man. I don't know if this guy is the yes man for them. So I'm going to say they should. Yeah, true. They shouldn't. They should not commit to him being the coach in the 2021 season. I agree. I think that listen, Bond's done a great job. Yeah, you can't really dispute that. He's been fantastic for them. And look, you can't sit there and say, well, you know, I don't want Kyrie or KD to come back because, you know, that's a load of shit. But what he's done with what they have, which is not a lot, you need to be impressed with. The fact that the Bucks and the Clippers and, you know, that today they beat the Magic by, I think, 10 with, you know, again, you have Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, but a lot of the other guys like Tyler Johnson were just signed off the street. Jamal Crawford, I don't even think he played. Yeah, he's but, injured. He's injured. So the Mets, the Nets are literally making chicken salad out of chicken shit. Yeah. And you got to give them credit for that. And that's a testament to Vaughn. Yeah. Over a seven game series against the Bucks or the Raptors. I don't know if it's going to work, but I think the Nets should look into other coaches at the same time, whether, and listen, you know, Durant and Irving are going to want to say in who coaches the team. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of people like Tyron Lue for them. Mm-hmm. But right now, I wouldn't commit it to him yet. But if he has a strong showing in the postseason, you may have to reconsider. Yeah. No, I absolutely, yeah. I think, but like you said, KD and Kyrie, they're obviously going to have a word in, in who's going to be this next coach. It's one of the reasons why Atkins, uh, uh, Kenny Atkinson got fired. Yeah. So. All right, number four, if college football moves to the spring, it won't be so bad if the NFL is able to move games to Saturday or even Friday night. True, true, absolutely true. Because then it, I feel like it's easier for the NFL to set up a schedule, set up like, you know, uh, different games. You'll have more, I think you'll have more viewers this way too. I think, yeah, absolutely true, 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think true would be good because you know on Saturday night, everybody's going to want to watch NFL. And look, I don't know if bars will be packed by then, you know, sports bars will be packed by then, but as long as people are getting their, their, their football taste. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all they need. Whether exactly. college or pros. Exactly. It might be a bit extreme. I don't think people want necessarily, that might be overkill. If you're going to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think you need Friday games, but. I think Saturday night games and Sunday Sunday games are perfect. And I think that, like I said, as long as people are getting their football fix, whether college or pro, it makes it, it makes perfect. It'll it'll be fine. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like college football. I love people that don't really like yeah, college football is fun. I think actually it's more exciting than the NFL sometimes. But there are a lot of people who just like to watch NFL. Mm-hmm. So that's just uh, you know, for them it's just it's like Xanadu because they're just going to get their Saturday games and their Sunday games. And that's all they need. Yeah. You know, it'll be a compulsive gambler's dream. 
But I mean, at the end of the day, you're getting your football fix and that's all that really matters. Some guy actually tweeted today that now would be the time for the XFL to start operations again. Oh yeah, this would be perfect time. College football doesn't go, the XFL should just take over the Saturday slate. I was telling the uh, the Rock needs to bring the millions and millions of Rock fans over to the XFL. <laughs> All right. Although now, take into consideration if they play games on Saturdays and Sundays, do you think the NFL should consider a bubble? Yes, I think I they have to. I, I think I think they have to do some kind of bubble. Either way, because we've see, we're seeing how the NHL and NBA are operating with it, mm-hmm. and we're seeing how the M- MLB is operating without a bubble. Yeah. And just, it's, it's two polar opposites, because the NBA and NHL have got it right. But here's the right question, with- too, right? So, if... Well, actually, yeah. Like, hypothetically, if the NFL doesn't have a season, hypothetically, because mm-hmm. that could still very possibly happen. How do you determine the draft order? I think it's got to be complete lottery. I think it's got to be. Like, how do the Jets, why do the, you know, for example, should the Bengals automatically pick number one if there's no season in 2020? Maybe. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that because it's not like they got any better or worse. You know, I mean, yeah, it kind of stinks for like teams like the. Unless you do a lottery based off winning percentage, so the top five, the top five teams that lost the most games, yeah, they're the top five, and like so, like whoever the top five was last year, the Bengals, Redskins, Lions, Giants, and I think the Chargers were the or the Dolphins were the last team. Yeah, you take those five teams and you put them in a lottery to see who gets the number one pick. I mean, I guess that could work, right? Look, I mean, look, the, the, this is way out of our pay grade. To try and come up with shit like this. So, I mean, it's funny you mention that when I do the show pro bono. (laughs) (laughs) So, funny you mention that when I do my show pro bono for the for the network. And I, oh, by the way, congratulations! The picture straight now. Oh yeah, I think my mom or brother was down here earlier. She was like, because as soon as we ended the show yesterday, she was like, you know the you know the picture's crooked, right? I was like, yeah, it gives it it gives the backroom the background character. Freaking millennials, you can't even fix a damn painting. Did your mom do it, bro? I, I didn't know she was going to do it. <laughs> All right. Well, the good news is it's straight, and the bottle of Johnny Walker Black back there is uh, looking a little empty these days. <laughs> so a little, ner- little uh, you know, panic drink in there, Clem, because there's no college football or football season this year. I got really bored without internet and phone cable, so. <laughs> hey, everybody finds something to do, right? I started reading. You started drinking. Number five, the only way the St. Louis Cardinals can make up all their games is by instituting a split squad strategy. True. And we meant, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. And I think they might, they might have to do that. You know, whether it's like, oh, you know, we have to take some of our good players and put them on the alternate squad and vice, vice versa. They're going to have to some way, because like you just mentioned, the Mets played 16 games. They've played five. That's a shit ton of games. That's 11 games. And the doubleheader they had scheduled for Thursday is already postponed. Exactly. And who, and who, yeah. And who knows how many more games are going to get postponed. So yeah, absolutely. They have to try and figure out something like that where they're going to have to play, where they're going to have to use both teams to make up these games. And it's going to suck for the Cardinals because they're probably going to lose most of the games that way. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know how else you can really schedule unless you extend the season. Yeah. Why something tells me this season's not going to, it's going to get canceled. 
this just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. I mean, I'm not saying that because the Mets are playing terribly, but I just think it's because you can't make up that many games. It's too, it's too difficult. It's bad enough that the schedule barely has any days off. You know, the players union is not going to be thrilled about playing like the Cardinals will literally have to play every day, the rest of the year. Right. So in my opinion, I mean, this is actually a pretty cool strategy for a split squad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just have to, the manager just has to figure out the two rosters. Right. You know, now, look, at the end of the day, you have to account for injuries. You have to account for what are you going to do if you use up all your pitchers. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't see any other option at no, this stage I, I, 100% agree with you. 100%. All right. So here's our final discussion question as we, can, as we conclude the Tuesday Moffat on the Mic Sports Aptitude Test right here on the A1 Network. This is a word problem. Okay. Not math, so no need to get the calculator out. Okay, here we go. Jose Altuve is having a miserable season for the Astros, hitting 183 with three homers and seven RBIs. He's also been a bit of a defensive liability in the field with three errors in a game over the weekend against the A's. Do you believe this is karma for denying that he wore a buzzer under his jersey in the Astros cheating scandal? Yes. Karma's a sick bitch, and it's absolutely getting to him. I, 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 I'm very superstitious when it comes to this kind of stuff, and like I, I, I believe like karma will come around and get you whenever it comes. So I absolutely think that this is karma, and it is killing him. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing about Altuve that bothered me. This is what bothered a lot of the people about the Astros. It wasn't the fact that they cheated. It was the fact they didn't feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. And when they did that press conference, that looked like it was, it almost looked like Bregman and Altuve were like forced to sit there. Yeah. If you watch it, Bregman looks like he'd rather be anywhere else but there. And Altuve just kind of didn't really want to answer it after that. And I mean, that alone says all you need to know about why they're getting plunked on a daily basis. Right. And even an exhibition, they were getting plunked. And the thing is, is Altuve was, um, you know, listen, he's a great, he was a great hitter. But now look, we don't know if he was wearing a buzzer. So we can't confirm that, no or not. We know we saw the video where he says, don't rip my shirt and all that stuff. But I mean, we'll, we will never know if he was wearing a buzzer. But that being said, this is interesting how he's really fallen off a cliff this year. And though, if you watch the game against the A's where he made those errors, mm-hmm. they were like, he dropped a pop fly. He was, you know, he, he threw wildly to first base. Like he dove and like, instead of just holding on to it, because he had no chance to get the guy at first base. He yeah. literally threw it into the stands. And then the other one, I don't remember what the other error was on that one. But it's a pretty interesting thing. If you ask yourself, it's like, is, could this be karma? Yeah, I think it absolutely is karma because – Jose Altuve, let's not forget, was the MVP shoot uh, a short years ago. Che- cheating or not, winning the MVP it it, t- it takes a lot to do that, you know. And he, he's a he's a good fielder as well. We know he's a great he's a good second baseman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is absolutely karma, and it's a fickle bitch for Jose Altuve. He's getting his comeuppance. I'm not surprised that is not going through the same thing. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, they're just going to keep getting beamed, man. 
whether it's Bregman, whether it's, you know, Al Correa, any of those guys. Springer. I mean, because they all had a little pompous arrogance to them, and it's kind of come back to bite them in the ass a bit. Yep. So before we get out of here, I got a text last night from Eric. By the way, wasn't he supposed to be on the show yesterday? He was. And he, I, text, I, I texted him earlier. I was like, yo, you still coming on today? Because I got my power back and everything. So I was like, oh, you still coming on today? I have to coach you. And I was like, oh, I can't do it at 7.30 because I have a softball game. So I was, I, he was like, ah, we'll figure out something another time then. All right. No, I just like, I, you know, it's funny. I, after we finished the show yesterday, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, he was supposed to be on the show yesterday. <laughs> and was the only reason why I remember that is because like, he texted me. So he texted me last night after the show. And he said, he asked, are you, do you honestly believe the draft was rigged? The NHL draft? the lottery. And I had time to think about it. Okay. I don't think it was rigged, but what I'm kind of seeing is a bit of a changing of the guard in the NHL. Now you remember for a while, everybody, you know, and Ranger fans and Islander fans were both united in this, that the NHL did everything they could to protect Sidney Crosby. Yes. Golden goose. He was their big moneymaker everyone knew it so he got all the calls he got all the bs penalties and all that stuff i still say to this day he took a dive in that in that playoff game against the penguins mm-hmm. the one i was at against the islanders where straight got called for the penalty and then they oh, lost yeah i remember that it looked like he flopped a little bit and again he's their cash he was their cash cow that's why they got malkin you know in the draft or whatever it was and everything And I'm starting to ask myself, is the NHL now secretly hoping that the Rangers finally win the cup? Because, listen, they're not going to throw their weight around the Arizona Coyotes. Mm -hmm. They're not going to throw their weight around the Ottawa Senators. They want the big market teams, the guys with the studs, to win the cup. It's good for the NHL. It's good for business. Okay? Capitals with Ovechkin. And I don't know, man. First of all, I said to him, I said, I think it's pretty ridiculous that the Rangers had the number two pick last year and they weren't even a bad team last year. They weren't like the one of the worst teams in the NHL. Right. And somehow they pulled the number two pick out of their ass. And the crazy thing was they almost got the number one pick. Can you imagine if they wound up with Jack Hughes last year mm-hmm. to go with Panarin to go? And I mean, they wouldn't have had, uh, they wouldn't have had, uh, Capo Caco, whatever his name is. But still, I mean, imagine back-to-back years with the number one overall pick in the draft. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. Myself that something's fishy. It, no, it just reminds me of, you know, when the Cavaliers had three first-round picks in a matter of four years. Like, what the hell's actually going on here? Yeah. But it, it is a little ins- – but I'm not, I'm not surprised, though, that if they want to throw – you know, all if the NHL wants to throw all their chips at one of the original six teams, and especially because it's the Rangers, because they have, re- in reality, besides 2012 when they made the Stanley Cup, the Rangers really haven't been relevant in the playoffs. Let's get real for a second here. Other than that year, yeah, they made the playoffs a, a few times. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's not, it's, they haven't been anything like, wow, I have to, gotta watch the Rangers tonight. Like, it's like, oh, I have to watch the, I wanna watch Sidney Crosby. They they see what they have in Panarin, 
They got Jack Hughes, and they got this incredible goalie. So they're, the NHL is probably like, you know what? They're one of the original six. Let's throw all of our chips at this guy, at this team, so they can. I mean, listen, is it not of the? This is nothing more than a conspiracy theory, by the way. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know a range of fans are going to say, "Oh, you all the fans, all you do is bitch and moan." No, well, we're in the playoffs. You're not. So yeah. I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, the fact is, you got your ass handed to you in the postseason. I mean, in the qualifying round, which really shouldn't have happened. Yeah. You were a much better team than the Carolina Hurricanes, but. I'm just curious because at this point, I mean, the Rangers haven't won a cup in over 20 years. It's a long time. They haven't won since 94. Okay. You're talking now 26 years. They haven't won a cup. Okay. And they bring in free agents and they have young guys and, you know, guys like Zabinajad and, you know, Kako and, you know, Shesterkin and, and everything. And now they're going to get like another blue chip offensive player. Yeah. And I'm saying like, listen, Teams like the Detroit Red Wings, teams like the Ottawa Senators, they need those guys. The Kings, mm-hmm. those teams all suck, okay? Any one of those teams should was well-deserving of the number one overall pick. And this is the, the problem I have with lotteries, okay? Lotteries should never exist in these types of moments because it's about making bad teams better, okay? The Red Wings don't – they're not tanking the season. They're just not a great team. Yeah, they just stink. <laughs> okay? The Senators were not really tanking either. But I, I'm saying at the end of the day, it's very strange that the Rangers, they land Panarin. Last year, they have the number two overall pick. And now this year, they get the number one pick in the draft. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't know what the NHL about. I don't know what the NHL's thinking is, but I could easily, I could easily see it being a thing where, you know, the, it's not generating enough of interest hockey is is hockey's an acquired taste we right. grew up with it that's why we like it so much if you didn't grow up with hockey you wouldn't give a rat's ass about hockey and at the same time you would automatically become a ranger fan because who else are you going to root for you're not going to root for the islanders yeah you're going to root for the team that everybody wants to root for and that's the rangers yeah and for me the i just have this really weird vibe that the nhl is hoping It's like what I say about the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys. They are hoping right now that the Rangers, this is going to be what gets the Rangers over the hump to get them to the cup. Yeah, I wouldn't, again, all conspiracy theories, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if this is what the NHL was thinking. Like I said, I'm not sure if it's rigged because I don't work for the NHL, but I just find it very strange that a team that was just in the qualifying round of the postseason and he said, he goes, well, every team had a 12.5% chance. Well, that, that shouldn't happen either. Why should teams like the Penguins and the Rangers, who just made the qualifying rounds, get a shot at the best player in the draft? Yeah, it's not fair. You know, that doesn't really make any sense. Like, and to me, that's where I call bullshit on the whole procedure. I say the same thing about the NBA lottery. I mean, the NBA lottery is a joke. There's no, I mean, teams are just bad. The reason why teams are bad in the NBA is because no good players want to go there. Yeah. You think Stephen Curry sits there and goes, man, I can't really wait to get to Sacramento. I can't really wait to get to Memphis. Well, Memphis is actually pretty decent. But, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, I can't wait to get to Atlanta to play for the Hawks. I mean, come on. I mean, players are dictating wherever they want to go. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely. I'm not a big fan of the lottery in, in general at all. So, 
All right, well, listen, that's going to do it for the Moffat on the Mic show for this Thursday evening. Uh, you can follow the show, as always, on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. You can follow the A1 Sports Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Backdraft, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. No and, problem. Um, we will be back on Thursday. We're going to do a little bit of an earlier show. Uh, we're going to shoot for a 4.30 start time um, for the show. So, again, hopefully you guys check it in. By the way, everybody who watched us on Facebook on Monday – Thank you very much. We had over a thousand views of the show. We, that really was awesome. That really meant a lot to us. And uh, we really appreciate it. You know, feel free to comment on Facebook. You can tell us we suck. You know, I wouldn't expect anything less. You tell me I suck. It's fine. I do. <laughs> but, um, but again, we really appreciate you guys checking us out for whether it was for five minutes or for 50 minutes. We don't really care. As long as you guys check this out and feedback is always appreciated for the show. So again, we thank you. On behalf of Clem, I am Craig. This has been the Moffat on the Mic Show. We'll be back Thursday night right here on the A1 Sports Network Facebook Live page, looking at about a 4.30 start, if possible. And uh, we'll be updating it on our Facebook, on our, all our social media. And again, subscribe to the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you'll get the shows as soon as they become available. Clem, again, thank you for holding it down. And everybody else, we'll be back Thursday night right here on the A1 Sports Network Facebook page. Have a great one, everybody.